Last night I popped over and saw some of my grandkids and it never ceases to amaze me how staggeringly innocent and trusting they are. They just walk towards you. Children approach God, though, I've noticed, with an unreserved innocence. There's a couple of these slides coming up here. With unreserved innocence. And why do they do that? When they approach God, they think there's nothing he can't do. And as a result, there's nothing they wouldn't pray to him about. I came across a few children's prayers that reflect that type of innocence this week. That openness, that unbelievable wide-open trusting that they have. Hank, age seven, he says this, Thank you for a nice day today. And thanks for telling the weatherman he got it right instead. <laughs> David, aged eight, he said, I need a raise in my allowance could you have one of your angels please tell my father? <laughs> and there's another beautiful one. Dear Lord, do you ever get mad? My mum gets mad all the time, but she's only human. Yours truly, David. <laughs> when you were young, a young Christian, do you remember what it felt like to have a complete openness and transparency with God? You felt free to and to open and, and to ask your Heavenly Father about anything. Now, when a child has a, a secure sense of faith and he knows he's loved, he'll ask God for anything. And with a child's faith, when we were young, we trusted him with all of the little details. Welcome, Josephine and the new bubbers. <laughs> yeah. We trusted them when we were small with the details of life, and nothing was too big to ask God for or too small to ask God for. Remember that? When you were first a Christian. But I have noticed a very strange tendency. It's a malaise which affects teenage Christians in the faith and older Christians in the faith. That tendency is to drift from that simplicity, that close friendship with him, to be more guarded. And that is not what God wants. And today I want to take this opportunity to delve into 1 Peter chapter 2 as we carry on working through the book of Peter, 1 Peter, where God, for a start, shares his delight, his delight in us. See, some of you in this room have got it down, and you could say intellectually you agree that God loves you. But here's a deeper question which we asked in our small group the other day. Do you believe and feel that God likes you? He likes you. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. We're going to go through 14 for a start. And it's going to highlight six word pictures. I like pictures. They give me an idea. They help me get it. Like if I'm reading a bunch of text, but I see a picture, that's why I go to YouTube to figure out how to fix stuff, right? I can see a picture going on. So six word pictures in First Peter. We're going to have a quick look at to tell us how God affirms us, the words he uses to, to bless us, six affirming ways that God thinks of us. First of all, he says, we are living stones in the spiritual health. We're all sorts of different shapes and sizes and varieties. But God is doing a work by his spirit to put all these blocks in place. And it says in 1 Peter 2, 4, and we'll, start, we'll read through, and then we'll drill down on some. Verse 4, it says, And coming to him as a living stone, you are a living stone. I'll show you what that means in a minute. Rejected, 
to him as a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also are living stones. So he is the living stone, and you are living stones. Being built up as a spiritual house for, why? Not just to be assembled, a pile of bricks, but to be prepared as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is already contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a choice stone, a precious cornerstone. That's, of course, Jesus. And he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. Friend, I just want to stop there and put a semicolon there. Today, if you're disappointed with how your life's worked out, be encouraged in Jesus. You will never be disappointed, ever. Other things that you put your trust in will let you down. Don't ever put your trust in your job. That can come and go like that. Do not put your trust in anything that can be taken away from you. Christ is a living stone who will not disappoint. Let's move on. This precious stone, excuse me, this precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone, same stone, Jesus, the stone which the builders rejected became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. And it was, oh, they fell over it. And whenever you fall over a stone, you normally hurt yourself. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Some people get offended by Jesus. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this. Now, look at this word. Not PC, but it's BC, biblically correct. This doom that they were also appointed. So, what I want to do today is I want to unpack that. Take the context and let's go. First word picture that's used in that passage of scripture is a, is a picture of a building. Jesus being the cornerstone where you see everything set from and built upon. And we are the living stones which are connected in that building. And each time somebody trusts Christ as, a, as Savior, another stone is quarried freshly out of the pit of sin and cemented into place through the work of the Holy Spirit with God as the architect. That's what happens. And Jesus is carefully overseeing the project as head contractor. And every stone is being placed exactly where he wants it. And he designed it to go. But in our individualistic society, it's very easy to forget our interdependence on Christians. See, as parents, I've had four kids. Some of you in this room have had four kids. And you know as parents, the general, this is one big um, overview. Firstly, kids born out, Josephine, your kid is dependent upon you for everything. Feeding, wipe the bottom, shower, the whole nine yards. So they are very dependent. Next step, we train our children, all of them, to become independent of us. You want a phone, you phone. I'm glad you want a phone. How are you going to pay for it? So they become independent of us as parents. But there's another step. Interdependence. That's a greater step of growth where we realize we're not superman or superwoman. God has called us to be connected in community. A lot of people get stuck here. They get rid of mum and dad and out of their, under their purse strings, they can provide for themselves, but they have got no sense of connection and the importance that Christ puts on that. Connected. God calls you and I to work together 
with other Christians. This is the maturity part. As he connects us in a beautiful house for God. Let's pick up. Number two, we are also, he affirms us as priests. Wendy, you are a priest. Pete, you are a priest. You may be an electrician or air conditioning contractor or a teacher, but you are first and foremost a priest. And oh, by the way, you do something else as a sideline. Because that other thing will never last. No air conditioning in heaven, Pete. <laughs> no need for heaters. First Peter 2, 5 and 9. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. God has you in mind as a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God uh, through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race. There is only one race. One race. The chosen race, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That, why? So you could be smug about it? No. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness. Because that's where everybody else is going to end. If they're not in the light, they're going to be in the darkness. That's a serious calling. Come out of the darkness. Verse 5 refers to us there as a holy priesthood. You, Simi, are a holy priest and a royal priesthood. Verse 6, both times. Now, whilst it's true, we are not all preachers or teachers or evangelists. We are, very clearly there, all, Althea, a priest. We are all priests that have been set apart. That means specially selected chosen by God and for God as holy priests. And God wants us, you and I, to offer ourselves as a living, a living and holy sacrifice. Now, what does that actually mean? That means laying down our own desires. You want to be my disciple? Jesus said you need to deny yourself. There's a word he used after that. What was it? Anybody remember? Daily. <laughs> Whoops. I thought if I just denied myself once. <laughs> That's it. No. He says daily. That's how you offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Not driving on your agenda all the time. But be interested in his agenda. Putting our energy, putting our resources at his disposal and trusting him to guide us in the priestly work of reconciling other people to God. That's our call. Let's not forget, let's not abandon our station and our call. Three, we are a chosen people. You are chosen. That gives you value beyond belief. Remember how we used to feel at school when they lined you up at PE and the captains chose teams? When you were chosen, it felt great, right? Nobody wanted to be the last one. <laughs> Especially if you had just had a fight with a captain. Not that any of you would have, but... Maybe somebody standing in front of you may have just had a fight. <laughs> the point is, well, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So it's impossible to feel... Let me say it another way, excuse me. It's possible to feel sometimes a little smug that I've been chosen for the team. <laughs> I'm in. What's your problem? That type of attitude. But in case you ever get a little smug or feel comfortable that you've been chosen for God's team, I just want for one second to whip back 
and look at this in context in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7, 6, and 8. Moses is addressing the nation of Israel who'd gotten a little lackadaisical with their selection. They were feeling a little too comfortable in it. That have been chosen. And he's addressing the nation as they're prepared to move into their next step in the promised land. And he says here in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8, You, for you, are a holy people to the Lord, the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own position out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now here comes the qualifier to put things in context. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest. In other words, not because of your great might, or strength, or your appearance. But because, the, why did he choose you? Because the Lord loved you. See, he chose you because he loved you. And he kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by his mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So, why did God choose the Hebrews to be his people? Was it because, what does that verse tell us? Was it because of their strength? Was it? Or strength of number? No. What about because of their huge numbers? Were they chosen because of their number? No, so not strength, not number. What about their moral superiority? Do you think he chose them for that? <laughs> uh-uh. You read it, they're often in trouble for that. No, no, he simply chose them because of his grace and his kindness. That's the goodness of God. They were entirely without merit on their part. It wasn't because they were the best or the biggest or the strongest or the wealthiest or the most righteous or virtuous. Not at all. It was because of God's grace. So likewise, God's choice of us was not based on anything that you or I have done because we can't impress God. It wasn't the size of our faith or the sincerity of our heart or the greatness of our intellect. It was because he first chose us entirely by grace. See, sometimes we think that we chose him. Well, if you're confused about that, go back and look at John chapter 15, verse 6. And that'll tell you, actually, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That's the grace of Jesus. John 15, 6. You can look that up in your own time. Number four. The fourth thing he describes as a term of endearment. He says, you're a holy nation to me. On top of being a chosen people, and on top of being a royal priesthood, our identity, Peter tells us that we're a holy nation. Set apart for God, what for? For his special purposes. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Here it is, a holy nation. A people belonging to God. Now, the Apostle Paul also talks about this in Philippians 3, verse 20. And he says, for our citizenship. I remember when I became a U.S. citizen. It was a very proud moment. We had a special ceremony. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, 
Some of you listening to this on the internet and sitting here in this room have found yourself in a strange place. You found yourself confused and quite sad and disoriented. And you've wondered, why am I feeling that? You're out of step. You just don't feel like you fit. And I'll tell you, I want to suggest to you that's because deep in your heart, you're not fitted for this world. See, a duck, a baby has a desire for milk, and guess what? There's milk. A duck has a desire to swim, guess what? And there's water. We often desire things that will never be fulfilled on this world, but it points to the next world for us. We're often out of step with the world because we march to the beat of a different drummer. And you will never be satisfied. If you've been looking to the world to fulfill you, you will be disappointed. But in Jesus, you will never be disappointed because he's the one that loves you beautifully. So don't be surprised, is what I'm trying to say to you. If you feel like a resident alien, let's say legal immigration status, actually. When I first went to the America, I was a resident alien. And with a green card, that's what we're called, resident aliens. There it is, right at the top, big letters. In other words, I'm here, but that's not where I really belong. That's what it was saying. So you'll feel like as a resident alien when you're on this earth. You'll have longings that will never be fulfilled perfectly on this earth. So the other reason is, too, we pledge our alliance and our allegiance to a different king because our true citizenship is in heaven. Number five, the fifth way God describes us in that book of 1 Peter chapter 2 is we're a people for God's own possession. His own possession. He owns us. Greetings, Elliot. 1 Peter 2 verse 9. That's for the whole world to hear. <laughs> Here it is. A people for God's own possession that you may... That what? So now you're his. What are we to do? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness. See any darkness at the moment on the face of the planet? See any craziness? That's the darkness. Some not so bright spark has decided we want to disband the police force in some countries. Well, the, and, the, and the reason for that, don't, don't be surprised. The reason why they think that is because they are falsely delu or they are deluded thinking that man's heart is naturally good. Scriptures say, uh-uh. There's a doctrine called original sin. Left to themselves, people in, go to entropy. I was just reading an atheist historian this morning as I do, over breakfast. And he was saying, thank God for Christianity because the primitive days were savage. Christianity civilized the West. Back to the picture. Now, one of the things which I've often been intrigued about, he's called the darkness into his life. The value of even most common things can be enhanced if it's owned by somebody significant. You notice that? If you find a sheet of music... Richelli, written by Beethoven, and it's an original. Whoa! Now, if I wrote it, they'd pay nothing, but because it was owned by Beethoven, next slide. Is he there? Well, oh, there he is, Mr. Beethoven. Okay, you pay a lot of money. Here's Michael um, Jordan's ear, ear Nikes. Somebody paid for them in 1985 $860,000 for those sneakers. Crazy. But why did they do that? Because it was owned by somebody important. 
Here's another one. JFK's golf clubs. $1.8 million for a set of golf clubs. They're just golf clubs and they're wood at that. <laughs> Why would anybody pay that? Those items in and of themselves, those shoes, that piece of paper with a few dots on it, well, those golf clubs are not significant in and of themselves, but because their significance is because of who owned them. That's how they derive their value and their significance. They're of grain, they gain great value. Now think of the value of something then owned by God. What incredible worth that bestows upon us. Ladies, I just want to address you for a moment. Because you were designed and created by God and for God, he himself invokes and imbues tremendous value on you. Forget what the world says. You are sold to Jesus. Your love is for him. Do not give it to anybody else. They will disappoint you. He is the only one that will love you unconditionally. The world will try and push you with its media and its advertising and its social media into a different mold, which you will never be able to satisfy. So don't waste your time, especially young ladies. But what incredible value God bestows, what an inexplicable dignity that somebody called Jesus Christ would die for you. That shows incredible worth. Now, people on the world often base their sense of self-worth and their concept, uh, self-concept and how important they are on their accomplishments, right? But our relationship with Jesus is far more important than our jobs or our, quote, successes or our wealth or our knowledge, our smarts. Or our talents. We have been chosen by God unconditionally as his very own. And there's more to that. So we've been chosen, what for? To represent him to others. That is why you've been chosen. Now remember that your value comes from being one of God's children, not from what you can achieve. Because we live in a hypertensive society that says, if you're not going max six, what's wrong with you? Now, God always commends hard work to do the job, but there's a bit. I was just saying this to one of my progeny last night. There's nothing wrong with ambition, but unbridled ambition will kill you and it'll kill your marriage. You hear that? No excuse for being lazy. And there's no excuse for having no ambition, but unbridled ambition is dangerous. In other words, you've heard me say this many times before. Any strength taken to an extreme becomes a weakness. Any strength. Clear thinking can be a strength, right? But taken to an extreme, you're perceived as being belligerent. Generosity is a great strength, and God knows we need more of that. But taken to an extreme, you'll have nothing left. <laughs> right? Number six, we are God's people who have received mercy. We've received a gift of mercy. First Peter 2.10, for once you are not a people, 
But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So as a result of God's mercy, we become a people who are uniquely and exclusively owned by God. Where does it say that? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. What? That's a mind shift. For you were bought with a price. You've been redeemed from the slave block, where you couldn't redeem yourself. So glorify God in your body. Be careful what you do with your body. As I said three weeks ago, be careful what you look at. So, let's get down now, as Peter does, he's laid out their theological overpinnings. Now he's going to drill down into some very as he, inimitable fishermen, as he does. Now we've talked the theory, let's get the tools out and get on the job. Knowing that we are God's children, how then should we live? Knowing that we're precious and called out. And this is the whole point of Peter's application in the last two verses, verse 11 and 12. So he lays it out, and now he's going to drill down. The fact is that we're not our own, and that makes all the difference in the world as to how we live. The world lives as if they're their own. And this is the whole point. How can Christians, as people belonging to God, declare his praises, the excellence of his glories, to others that you work with? How do we do that? He tell, he's about to tell us, Peter, and this is the whole point of it. So Peter concludes his thoughts by telling us that in the light of all that we are as God's children, we are to live in a certain way. Let's read the verse first, and then we'll move on and apply it. 11 and 12, just two verses. Beloved! I love that. Hey, this is a really nice thing to say. Friend, it's a term of endearment. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the very thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So, notice a couple of things about this. First, Peter warmly addresses his readers. Remember, they're under the gun. They're getting, they're getting slaughtered. Beloved. Dear friends or beloved is what he's saying. Those who are loved by God are urged to live here as aliens. Those who live in a place that's not their home. Whose real home is heaven. And you're supposed to live as strangers in the world. Therefore, they do not practice the customs, the lifestyles, the desires of the world. But they demonstrate true loyalty as citizens of another kingdom. Unflinchingly. So for unbelievers, the earth is their playground for passions. That's how they play it. But for believers, earth is a battleground of opposition and temptation to be overcome by the power of God's Spirit. It's a place where we combat the lusts and wage war, that wage war against our soul. So uh, for our brief tour of duty on earth, and if you've been in the military, we used to have captains of all of them in, our, in my family life class in California, they have tours of duty. So here are the four commands for our brief tour of duty on this planet. Four marching orders. So knowing we are God's children. And in light of the unique 
called out position before God, Pete now turns practical. Specifically, the attitudes and actions that we should display as we live in a way that sets us apart from the existing culture. Two verses, here they are, four urgent exhortations. Number one, he says, live a clean life. Clean life. Never assume that it makes no difference to unbelievers how we live. Don't ever make that assumption. We live out of faith before a watching world. Now the Bible says Christians are to abstain, that's keep away from, sinful desires. Not only for their own spiritual well-being, but also to make an effective testimony in front of unbelievers. Two things are true. A Christian lifestyle is a powerful, convicting method which convicts the world of its sin. That's why Peter urges us to abstain from fleshly lust. In other words, to hold yourself back from it, because it'll pull you. It will pull you. Fleshly lusts. By the way, there's a list of these. You may want to, I didn't put in the outline, but you may want, if you want to go back and look at the entire list of them, they're found in Galatians 5, verse 19 through 21. These are all the things he's talking about specifically. But I just want to say this, that fleshly lusts generally means evil desires, urges and passions and lusts of the flesh. It means a yearning passion for the things of the flesh. The lusts of the flesh, again, are mentioned in that passage in Galatians. You can see them very specifically. But, be careful, young ones. The flesh is very strong. And it's difficult to control. And it never lets up its go at trying to pull you down. Every person in this room, every person, including me and you, has experienced the pull of the flesh. Right? Okay. Number two. So firstly, live a clean life. Second, Leave no room for slander. Leave no room for that. Leave no room for slander. See, the most compelling defense against false accusations by unbelievers is being unimpeachable. It's been a familiar word recently. Having unimpeachable integrity. That means no shading your taxes. That's, I'm being real clear. That's one place where many people are tempted. It means not stealing from the boss. His time, his assets, which, oh, he doesn't need that. Things like that. Now, denying false charges is easy, but it must be more. Somebody accuses you something. We must live lives that when somebody makes a false charge against you, it sounds ridiculous to those who know you best. Number three in this verse. This is one which is easy to pass by. But God says, don't pass us by. And he says, do good deeds among unbelievers. Do good deeds among unbelievers. So when we see somebody in need, our first question is, hey, are you a Christian? <laughs> I'll help you if you are. I'm basically saying, if you're not, see you later, alligator. A Christian should be walking over to help. This will mean crossing the border from your Christian community and hanging out with those who are outside your normal circles. 
It may be, though, simple. Like reaching out for your next-door neighbor. For maybe you want to grab a coffee. Something like that. That's as simple as all it takes. I learned some new skills whilst I was... <laughs> Get a cup of coffee with your neighbor. How long is it since you had a cup of coffee with your neighbor? Oh, we're too busy on our agenda. You know what? God's agenda for your neighbor is to see the good works in you. Just start with a very simple thing. Every single person in this room could invite their next-door neighbor over for just a coffee. Not hard. But why don't we do it? Maybe because we're on somebody else's marching orders. God's love for them, he's working in their heart. Pray and ask him to show you which neighbor to invite. And then just go ahead and do it. Only then will your neighbors and your people that you work with see any of your deeds. Because otherwise what they see is a garage go up, door go up, you go to work, you come home, garage door goes down, and that's it. Oh, and then somewhere on Sunday the garage door goes up, but they have no idea apart from that much more about who lives next door to them. Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Not say, oh, if that's a Christian, what's attractive about that? Number four, God's people should never forget that they're being watched. God's people should never forget that they're being watched. Pete says, as they observe our good deeds, unbelievers will glorify God. Whether we like it or not, we are being observed. And the world is watching. Now, if they don't see us reflecting love and care that they're longing for and understanding, and even just a listening ear sometimes, just to listen to them, they won't think much of our salvation if we're too busy rushing off. Because I noticed that Jesus even stopped by a woman, a Samaritan woman, who is the Jews' enemies, and sat and talked with her. He wasn't such a rush pursuing his own goals and objectives. He had time for people, do we? So, last section, very briefly. How do you stand out by fitting in? How do you stand out by fitting in? Every believer in Christ, as we saw, is being built, is a living stone designed to fit into God's temple in a way that uniquely contributes to the spiritual growth of others, and therefore I glorify God. The more we fit in to God's plan for us, the more we'll stand out in contrast to the world which is going in a completely different direction. So just as Christ, the first living stone, was rejected by men, chances are better than even that we as servants will likewise be rejected as we go about proclaiming the brilliance of the excellency of Christ in a very dark world. Now, we need to put these principles of 1 Peter 2 11 and 12, into practice daily. This is part of denying ourselves. And now is a great opportunity, as we ramp down this, to get very, very practical. Because in this church, we want to be doers of God's word, not just hearers. So as we, as we wrap this part of this up, I want you, as we pull this together here, to evaluate 
yourself, not your husband, not your neighbor, or not your kid, you. Evaluate yourself on each one of these. And think about how we can draw others to join us as living stones in the eternal, glorious temple of God. Now ask yourself these questions slowly. Take the time to ponder these. You may want to do this an extended period as part of your devotion. And don't rush when you do this. First question to ask yourself here is, do I live an exemplary life? It's a diagnostic question. Do I live an exemplary life? Would anybody out there who's not a Christian identify me as a stone that belongs in God's temple or is the outward surface of my life so damaged, so stained, so misshapen that I will be mistaken for a common rock, unfit for building. So I asked a question on a scale of one to ten. Where would you rate yourself? This is between you and God. Where would you put yourself? Sometimes for me, just to help you. I'm nowhere near I want to be. I'd be lucky if I'm a five sometimes. And that's just me, let alone the people that know me. But it helps. He says, examine yourself to test yourself to see if you are within the faith. If you're getting traction. Number two. Second question to ask. Do I have unimpeachable character and integrity? In other words, if I was accused of wrongdoing, if you were accused of wrongdoing in the workplace or at school, or uni, or at church, wherever it may be, in your social circles, would it be a surprise to people? Or would they think, oh yeah, I could believe that. You know what I'm saying? Would they have sadly come to expect that type of behavior from me? Do I have unimpeachable integrity? Number three. This one hurts. Do I do good deeds among unbelievers? Because that's God's will for us. Have I become, inadvertently, somewhere along the journey, become a Sunday Christian? Only doing my best deeds for fellow believers. Or do I let the, my, the Lord's light shine by the Holy Spirit? Before others in a way that draws attention to Jesus, not me. He's the hero, not me. Do I do that? And that could be as simple as picking up a phone call and listening to somebody who is hurting. Or when I look in the cold, hard light of day, is most of my life tied up with me? my needs, my worries, my desires, my plans. Number four, and finally, do I consider how outsiders view my attitudes and actions? 
When I'm outside my circle of Christian friends and family, do I kind of let my hair down, as the old saying used to go? That's a challenge. You don't have that problem. <laughs> do I take that opportunity to lower my standards? I, my wife and I have been very blessed in our lives. When I was in IT, I sometimes take 40 people to Langkawi Island for 10 days. All expenses paid. And um, I noticed there, some of them tended to change their behavior. They'd say, what goes on Park Club stays on Park Club. And I go, no, it doesn't. It goes with you everywhere, and that's gonna, not a good move. Or, when nobody can see it, I'm walking through an airport, do I get tempted to go and look at magazines that I shouldn't be doing? When I think nobody can see me. God sees you. Or let me make it more practical. When you're at home at night on your computer. What are you watching? What time are you even going to bed, some of you? Because I've noticed the later you are up at night, the more opportunity for things that will pull you down. Parents, be careful with that. Teenagers, develop healthy and godly rhythms. Get to bed at a reasonable hour. And I understand, study, I've done three degrees, so I get it. There are times, though, you have to balance that and get up at regular hours and work normal things. Be careful of the wee small hours. Okay. It's not easy or comfortable to stand out. It's going to feel a bit awkward, but that's natural because you are a resident alien. Sometimes you'll feel like you're fighting against the world because you're standing out in the world increasingly at odds with Jesus and his family. What I'm talking about here today is at odds with this world, but stand out we must. If we're going to fit into his temple, we need to nurture attitudes and actions that mark us as a royal priesthood worthy of that title. A chosen race, a holy nation, and a unique people that belong to God. With that instruction from God's word, let's pray. Lord, your word is both inspiring and very practical and convicting at the same time. It encourages us to live a clean life, Lord. Would you help us by your spirit to live exemplary lives Firstly, before you, also with our spouses, our families, with integrity and authenticity. Holy Spirit, help us live lives which leave no room at all for slander. That we live our lives in such a way that is honoring as ambassadors of your kingdom. And Father, you know the people that you've got. As a, Lord, you know the neighbors. You, you know your plan for those neighbors. We're not by our neighbors by accident. And they'll only be there for a short time. So Father, help us look for ways to connect with them, even if it's only a coffee. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, make us a way for us to connect so we can shine our light before men? And Father, help us to remember 
I never forget that the world is watching and you are watching. Help us live lives that have God-honoring attitudes and actions so that one day when we see you, Father, face to face, we will have faithfully carried out your marching orders whilst we're on this earth. We ask this in your precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Can I just encourage you guys, every one of you and me, to take God's word this week in your time of study, when you're with God, reading his word and spending time alone, and just take maybe those four practical actions and say, God, which one or two of those do you want me to drill down on and get some traction on this week? Amen? Amen. Okay, God bless you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Together and finish off with a great song of prayer. Praise God.